Listen, a noise on the mountains, like that of a great multitude. Listen, an uproar among the kingdoms, like nations massing together. The Lord Almighty is mustering an army for war. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger. God was angry. There is no denying the words of the scripture. 2,000 years ago, God was angry and poured out his entire storehouse of wrath on the God-man Jesus Christ. With all the world watching, Jesus bore all the brunt of God's anger that dark Friday. The God who is angry. This is not an image we like to dwell on. We prefer to think of God as a God who forgives, a God who loves, a God who makes all things new in his mercy. We don't like to think about a God who is angry. Many of us have spent years trying to unlearn the things we thought as children about an angry God that just made us scared of him. Now here we are, confronted with this concept again. We can't avoid that throughout the Bible, God is referred to as an angry God. A God who brings punishment and justice. How can we make peace with this? Perhaps the problem is that when I think of anger, I think of the way that I get angry. When I'm angry, it may be a little bit about what someone did wrong to me, and a lot about my own emotional immaturity. A lot about my pride that was injured, my security that was shaken, When I'm angry, I say and do things that I later regret. When I am angry, I lose the ability to look at the situation objectively. When I am angry, I no longer reflect the kind of person I want to be. When I'm angry, I lose control. It's no wonder that when I impose these characteristics on God and His anger, It makes me uncomfortable, to say the least. What can I do with a God who is driven by emotional outbursts? How can I explain a God who has a bad day and decides to wipe out a whole nation? I cannot come to grips with this. I cannot deal with a God who is supposed to be full of forgiveness and love, yet seems so casually to dole out destruction. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain. For the Lord our God is holy. 
If God's anger is not like mine, then what is it like? If he's not simply moody and capricious, then what led him to such a display of anger as we saw at the cross? Throughout scripture, we learn about the character of God. We learn that he is holy, that he is righteous, and yes, that he's love. Is it possible that anger is a natural outgrowth of these more easily embraceable qualities? Could it be that God loves to an extent that anything that harms what he loves becomes an object of his anger? Is it possible that he is so thoroughly holy that anything unholy is a stain to his character? Is it possible that he so values justice that his anger is a natural reaction to wherever he sees injustice? Perhaps instead of explaining away the anger of God or shamefully trying to hide it, we can rejoice in God's anger. Maybe God's anger is the most beautiful expression of his love for us. Maybe, just maybe, we can rest even more secure knowing that God's love is so perfect that he does away with anything that does not display love. That his justice is so complete that his anger is the means for righting all wrongs. Maybe God's anger isn't like mine. Maybe God isn't driven by selfish desire or mood swings, but by love. And maybe his anger is the proof of that. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, He won't call me to account? But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You, Lord, Hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. In the end, maybe we're really thankful that God is an angry God. Don't believe me? Do you know that 2.5 million people around the world are in forced labor? Did you know that 1.2 million children are trafficked every year? Or that 17,000 of these trafficked people come to the United States every year? Did you know that there are 210 million children living without one or both of their parents? Did you know that 5,000 people every day die from AIDS? Or that every day 25,000 people die from hunger? Getting angry yet? Wanting justice to be done? Do you want to see murderers go free? 
Do you want to see people who sell children go unpunished? Are you glad when a hurricane destroys thousands of lives in mere hours? No? Me neither. It is God's anger that brings justice to these things. God's anger is about his determination to punish evil, to bring an end to the things that make our blood boil. Throughout scripture, we see God's anger being turned on the wicked. When we cry out for God to end evil, to end injustice, to end pain and suffering, we join with the cries of saints from all times asking God to pour out justice and praise God, he will. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. As we praise God for his willingness to end injustice and evil in the world, we are immediately faced with a problem. I don't have to search very hard to find out that there is evil existing in myself. All it takes is one frustrating moment where someone doesn't do what I want them to do to see the most unflattering thoughts pouring out of my heart. As we've together confessed through this season of Lent, we struggle constantly with a desire to consume instincts to protect ourselves at the expense of God's will for our lives or a misguided worship of created things instead of the creator. In just one of the many moments of weakness in my life, it becomes so perfectly and terrifyingly clear. The evil I ask God to do away with and destroy exists in me. When our holy and perfect God punishes evil and brings his justice, he must also punish me. So what hope is there for me? I cannot do away with the sin that is in me on my own. As hard as I fight, it is always there. Must I bear the full measure of God's wrath? I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I, do not, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. 
For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to be good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that is at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? The anger of God's grace will. The anger of God's grace. And we absolutely have to understand the one if we're to appreciate the other. We have to. Anger. Grace. God's anger of grace says that sin is never small because God isn't small. The seriousness of an insult rises with the dignity of the one insulted. And the creator God of the universe is the most dignified being. He is the most infinitely worthy person who has ever existed. He is infinitely worthy of our respect and of our loyalty and of our love and and we are commanded you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength and I haven't done that. I haven't. Not only is my unrighteousness filthy before this holy God but my righteousness is filthy before this holy God my righteousness the goodness that I do because when I do good I I still think about me And, and, and how good was that good that I did and so I didn't really give it before the altar of Almighty God. I gave it for the alt- before the altar of Randy. And failure to love God is not trivial. It's treason. And God's absolute holiness will never allow him to sweep my moral crimes beneath the rug of the universe. He feels a holy, hot anger against them which is why the prophet Ezekiel says the soul that sins shall die the anger of God's grace and God's anger is the anger of grace 
of grace. You see, God, God is not satisfied for his anger to be his last word. He wants his grace to be his last word. And so out of his grace, he sends his own son to absorb his wrath and bear the curse for all who trust him. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Jesus' death on the cross redirected God's anger from me and my sin. Do you remember those black slips of paper that we filled out for the past month? It's those black slips of paper that now God has under his curse, but Jesus Christ has taken that curse and he has diverted God's wrath from me to him. You see, the cross did not cause God to withhold his wrath. The cross, rather, was the final destination for God's wrath. And at the cross... God's wrath, his anger was spent, not withheld. God treated Jesus like he would have treated me for my sin. And why? Why? For love, that's why. For love. And we will never stand in awe of God's love until we come to grips with the white hot holiness of God's anger and his justice against sin. But when we, by his grace, awaken, are you awakened to how unworthy we are, then we will see the crucified one as the most beautiful expression of God's anger and God's grace. And when we awaken, we will say with the Apostle John, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to absorb his anger for our sins. I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood who fixed his loving eyes on me as near his cross I stood. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. A second look he gave which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I die that thou mayest live. And thus while his death my sin displays in all its blackest hue, such is the mystery of grace, it seals my pardon too. Oh, can it be, upon a tree, the Savior died for me. My soul is thrilled, my heart is filled to think he died for me.